true leadership often comes with a great personal sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It really does. And, you know, when, when everything's going right, the good leaders, you have to give away all the credit. When, when things are going wrong, you take all the blame. Be infinitely curious. Good afternoon, everybody, to episode six of The Kitchen Table. In this podcast, we sit down and have honest and real conversations around all things leadership. We call it The Kitchen Table because we know some of the best conversations at the firehouse take place at the kitchen table. And the goal with this podcast is to focus that kitchen table energy into talking leadership. I'm your host, Berlin Mazza. Alongside me is Deputy Fire Chief Bill Mack. Good afternoon, Bill. How are you? Good. Well, you dub. 2720 over Texas a couple weeks ago over Coach Sark. Michael Penix returning next year. Big things in the future for the Huskies. Yeah, man. You know, I am really excited about my dogs. You know, Penix, uh, rumor has it, a little NIL agreement that happened, about $5 million. He's coming back. I'm excited about that. Uh, a little bit of sad news that Tulapapa, my boy Wayne, he's uh, decided to enter the portal, which is good to enter the draft for him, but you know what? Uh, he wrote a great letter to his teammates, his coaches, his family, uh, you know, and all the dog fans saying, hey, thanks for letting him come and be successful. So, you know what? We have new national champions. Uh, shout out to the Georgia Bulldogs for winning the Natty. Boom. Uh, you got to love Coach Kirby Spartan, whether you uh, boom or not, man. He is a winning uh, man. And we talk about leadership when the comp, uh, one of the podcasts later on. We probably need to talk a little bit about uh, Coach Smart. Uh, one thing, though, I was just thinking about the other day, you know, people have been kind of bagging on TCU about their loss in the Natty, but, you know, let's face it, uh, if you ask any of the TCU players, uh, would they be happy with the 13-2 and two season, uh, beat number uh, two-ranked Michigan, uh, 51-45, and then make it to the Natty? I think that any one of the players would say they'd really be happy with that. And so, it is a real quick thought about how you measure success for a season and for a team. You know, they got to be uh, happy and comfortable. Let the haters hate, man. Uh, that's That's fine. 12-team college football playoff can't come any sooner, yeah? Man, I can't wait. It's going to be great. I still don't have any love for the Pac-12 or for the dogs, but that's okay. All right. Um, you know, hey, I wanted to say thanks for kind of carrying the torch on this podcast. You know, I didn't think that when we did episode one there a few months ago that, you know, I, I really was cautiously optimistic of where it was kind of going to go. But uh, I'm super excited. I know that you've done this. I think this is episode six we're doing this is now. Six. You know, I, I encourage all those people that have been texting and emailing and saying, hey, man, they've listened to the episodes and they really like them. So. Thanks for you for carrying the torch. Thanks for our listeners for listening to it. You know, it's nice to know that people are actually paying attention. Uh, for those who don't know, you can subscribe to uh, Kitchen Table Leadership Conversations on Spotify. Um, and that way you can kind of get the new episodes when they come up and they'll just show up in your feed. So, uh, you know, we like to show some energy. You know, last, last we had... Uh, uh, Chief Rommel come in and talk a little bit about dynamic leadership. We've had uh, Chief Andy Kaye come kind of talk about that why not, which is a pretty, pretty cool concept, you know, as an emerging leader, just taking that, uh, that next step and being kind of uncomfortable. We've talked about that a lot. Yes, we have. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Chief Iron talked a little bit about leadership itself. Uh, you know, and kind of took a little bit of academic look at leadership. Um, you know, boy, we even had Chief Castro here recently. That was, you know, I, I really, uh, that's going to take us out onto that, that national stage, man. That's a big game to have come in. And he did a great job in talking about, uh, you know, 
leadership. You know, he brought up a great point. I just wanted to say right now, you know, I love that line that he gave. Uh, I know what you're you, going. Uh, you know, you, you lose your life on the fire ground, but you uh, lose your career in the firehouse. Yeah. And that's been resonating in my head a lot. So yeah, it's true. It's pretty cool. Thank you, Bill. A lot to look forward to here at the kitchen table. We have some exciting guest speakers to kick off 2023, starting with episode six today. We'll be doing a series of conversations around diversity, equity, and inclusion to finish off the month of January. We're having Assistant Chief Chris Larson out of LA City Fire Department. She runs a recruitment and equity bureau in LA City. We're having Fire Chief Harold Scoggins of Seattle Fire Department. Many of you are aware of the work the King County Fire Chiefs are doing with DEI in our region. Then in February, we're doing a three-part series around behavioral and mental health, emotional survival, peer support, and more. So like Bill said, a lot to look forward to. Subscribe to the kitchen table and help us spread the leadership conversation. So without further ado today, our guest speaker comes from an extensive background in EMS, paramedicine, fire service, active shooter, counterterrorism, and more. He served as a King County paramedic where he climbed the ranks to chief of operations at Medic One. He served as the fire chief of Maple Valley Fire and Life Safety and now currently serves as the deputy chief in charge of community risk reduction with Puget Sound Regional Fire Authority. Our speaker today has helped develop and deploy programs such as rescue task force training between fire, EMS, and law enforcement, special operations for advanced life support in areas of helicopter search and rescue, SWAT, structural firefighting, water rescue, and mass casualty incidents, as well as a chaplaincy program for King County Medical One service area. This individual has also has developed a program called the Basic Trauma Care for Educators, a program that utilizes EMS and SWAT operators to train school teachers on how to react as first responders during scenes of ongoing violence and active shooter events in their schools. The program was adopted nationally by the White House. The program known today is called Stop the Bleed. Our speaker today is an accomplished lecturer and presenter nationally in topics of community preparedness and active shooter. Today, we welcome Deputy Chief Aaron Tyerman of Puget Sound Regional Fire Authority on the kitchen table. Good afternoon, Chief. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm good, Berlin. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. I appreciate uh, I appreciate being here today for sure. We do have special guests with us today: Battalion Chief John Graziani from Puget Sound Regional Fire Authority. And many of you listeners know of our leadership challenge. That's where we challenge our guest speakers each episode to call out another leader to come talk leadership on the kitchen table. Well, today we have something new for you. This is what we're calling the leadership pre-challenge. Chief Graziani and I were having a conversation several weeks ago regarding the early development of the podcast. And he said, you know what? You have got to have Chief Tyerman on the kitchen table. And just from that, it was a done deal. Whenever someone can speak so highly of a colleague, of a leader, that's what this podcast is all about. To have individuals come on to the show who are willing to share their perspectives and philosophies on leadership. So with the leadership pre-challenge, I'm going to ask John briefly here to share why he asked Deputy Chief Aaron Tyerman to be on the show today. John? How's it going, Berlin? It's good to be here, and thanks for thanks for letting me sit in here for a couple Absolutely. minutes. Uh, yeah, I got to meet Chief Tyerman. Uh, it's almost been six years now when he came over to Maple Valley as our fire chief, and I knew him as a paramedic for Medic One, but we really didn't interact much other than running on calls. When uh, when Chief Tyerman came over, it was really interesting. He sat down with every member of our organization. And he had some specific questions that he had, he asked each one of us wanting to know what, what we would like to see him do in this organization. And we, one of the things that was really, 
a game changer for us was we were doing BLS transports, which resulted in some other dynamics in the organization. And I think unanimously, everybody wanted to go away from BLS transporting. And he stuck to his word. He uh, he he he's always. He's always done what he said he was going to do, and he's always put the needs of the organization and the membership and the community first. And, uh, you know, just he came to us as, as a fire chief, knowing that for Maple Valley as a local, we weren't looking for a long term chief. We were looking for a fire chief that was going to regionalize our Maple Valley into an organization such as Puget Sound RFA. And that's exactly what he did. He put himself out of a job. That's true leadership. And unfortunately, he he got to stay with Puget Sound. And uh, I'm committed to him. Uh, he's a friend of mine and a peer. And I look up to him. And I'm, I'm honored to be here today to be able to talk a little bit about him. Thanks, Berlin. Thank you, Chief Graziani, for sharing and for challenging the Chief to come on to the show today. So we welcome Chief Tyerman today. And Chief, I hear... You're into college football. Yes, sir. I love college football. Um, I was hearing a little bit before the podcast started that uh, it's uh, now this is the beginning of January 2023. And uh, that as, as Chief Mack had mentioned, the uh, national championship is now over. So there's a period of mourning going on in my house right now. Uh, my uh, uh, couple of months ago, I was Friday, the, the college game was over. My wife came home from work and, and uh, she came in and she looked at the TV and she goes, are you watching high school football? I'm like, yeah. So I, I, love, I love football. Um, um, I, I love the Huskies, uh, but my heart is uh, my heart's with the with the Broncos of Boise State. I can oh. my uh, Boise State Broncos socks. Did not know that. Yeah, so I okay. started Boise, went to Boise State University. Okay. Uh, everybody on my wife's side of the family is a Boise State grad. I love the Smurf turf. Um, okay. So love, 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 love college football. Um, I love I love football in general, but yeah, yeah, college football is really close to my heart. Yeah. Well, to, to date. Yeah. Chris Peterson, still the only UW coach to take us to the college playoffs. So, Bill, what do you think on that? I mean, Boise State here, but yeah, Chris Peterson. It's okay, man. We all have to have something that's wrong with us. <laughs> you know, I thought we were going to talk about leadership here with, with Chief <laughs> we Tyerman, but this obviously uh, he's, he's, he might have gone down a notch. Right? Yeah. No, it's, it's all good. It's, yeah. all, it's all good. Well, we're, we're unfortunately are relegated to watching uh, pro football for the next couple of weeks. We are. But, uh, you know, hey, go Hawks. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Been, yeah, I've been a, a fan. I, I will say that. You know, um, uh, I think the money line is pretty, pretty, pretty established with the Hawks. I think they're going to cover. Uh, what know, is that? What number? Yes, nine and a half right nine now. Nine and a half. But, you know, I think that it's tough for any pro team to beat another team, pro team three times. So that's one thing we got going. But hey, Aaron, thanks for being here. Yeah, definitely one of my mentors. Definitely a guy I look up to. Uh, you know, I've gotten a lot of uh, uh, good education and leadership from. You know, but one of the things that's important with this podcast is that. You know, guys with experience like you trying to get back to that fire service community. You know, it's really important for us to do that. We've talked a lot about connections, talked a lot about modern, uh, you know, employees in the fire service. Um, you know, having a very diverse level of experience, you heard from your bio. I mean, you've done everything from medicine, and I'm sorry if I'm speaking too too fast for a paramedic, you know. But um, <laughs> I'll be slow down a little bit, right? <laughs> you, if you need to dumb it down for me, please. please, please repeat. I'll try to use smaller words. Um, but you know, we have you have a very diverse level of experience. Um, 
we talk a lot about comfort. You know, I was recently in an uncomfortable position. Several of our leaders who have been on have talked about being a little bit uncomfortable. You know, I know that you've been uncomfortable in the past. I mean, moving out of, you know, the paramedicine world or the medicine world and the fire service leadership has got to make you a little bit uncomfortable. But talk to us about, like, is Chief Fireman Chief Fireman if he didn't put himself into those uncomfortable roles? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, I think the uh, the one thing that we can all agree on is, is that any time that you're willing to put yourself out there. And I know one of the topics we wanted to talk about today was some vulnerable leadership, but anytime you're willing to put yourself out there and make yourself uncomfortable, that, that's when you grow, right? When you when you walk in and there's a knot in your stomach uh, and you, you, you're not quite sure, as, as it was said in my bio, one of the things that I, I, I did is I went from being pretty much a career paramedic with a tiny, tiny bit of fire service experience back in the mid 1990s and jumped into a role where I now had to sit across from people and lead them in, a, in, a, in the fire service. And uh, I was terrified. Like there, you know, if you, you know, that first day when you walk in, I kept waiting, you know, you hear people talk and leaders talk about imposter syndrome, like, oh my gosh, you, anybody who's at an elite level, uh, whether it's an athlete or an actor or somebody else or a CEO or a CFO walks into an organization, um, you know, there's that nagging, there's that nagging sensation, like, oh my gosh, they're going to figure out that I'm not really who I am. And so there was definitely a lot of that. And so the parts of my life in my, both my personal and professional life, where I've grown is where I'm uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. If you never get out of your box, if you never get out of your comfort zone, um, you know, you stay stagnant. Right? And, and, not, and for some people, that's okay. Um, but I think for most people, people sitting at this table, for sure, if you want to get to a point where you're going to grow, if you want to get to a point where you're, where, you know, you're going to be, become better at what you're doing, you have to be able to get out of your comfort zone. And I, I think you should honestly do something every single day of your life that makes you uncomfortable um and uh you know you start to stack all those little things on top of each other and then before you know it you're like oh my gosh I, how did i get here and and have the opportunity to you know sit with a high caliber of class of people like i'm sitting here with today but i mean that that doesn't happen by staying in a safe place all the time i'm gonna ask how uh i mean could we talk about it all the time in every single episode and how do you do that in terms of some individuals will put themselves out there, mm-hmm. but let's say the majority don't or won't. Mm-hmm. It's tough. It's challenging, right? I it mean, I, I, I wouldn't, I continue to try to put myself in an uncomfortable position because I'd done it once before, but there's many that can't or won't take that first uncomfortable step. So how do you get a mass group of individuals to embrace that concept of being uncomfortable is good. It's okay. It's, it's necessary. Yeah. So I think it's, it's having people that are willing to challenge you, um, and, and hold you accountable. If you, if, if you come to me and, and you say, Hey, Aaron, I'd like to accomplish this, you know, having somebody that where you go, it's just like when they say, if you want to lose weight or you want to get in shape or you want to run a marathon, it's always better if you have somebody that, that does it with you. So having people that are going to hold you accountable and, and say, Hey, I want to try something new. I want to try to learn a new language or play a musical instrument or whatever the case may be. And then 
you know, say, hey, this is what I want to do and have somebody who's going to hold you accountable to do it. Um, but to get a group of people to, to be able to do it, you really have to look at the leadership in your organization or the leadership in your group or whatever it happens to be. And they have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And I know, again, it, it for me, that circles back to what we were going to talk about today when it comes to vulnerable leadership. But that's a that's a really a big part of it. Um, and so, yeah, and I think in order to get in order to get people to to be able to do it, you have to be able to lead by example for sure, and to be able to share your own struggles, the, yeah. the places, the times when you were scared to death, the times where you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Um, and then once people see that, then they go, okay, then this is a if if he or she is willing to do it, then I should be able to yeah. do it as well. Yeah, this is perfect. I'm glad you said that because uh, you said what I what I heard there is you got to have people in your life to hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. And this first part that I want to talk about, a few years back, I um, I had met Chief Tyerman on when I because I was li- I was listening to uh, it was Class Five, the Recruit Academy Class Five, where you went up and spoke, and you had this concept of you said be average, and I'm listening to this thing. I'm like be average. Well, I mean, what, I don't I don't want to be average. I want to be great. Yeah. And then I, I kept listening, which is awesome. So. Tell us this concept of be average. What, what, what did you mean by that? Because I know you I know you didn't mean literally be average. Yeah. There was something behind that. Sure, yeah, sure, sure. absolutely. It, I'm going to do something a little unusual. Um, it, I want to first acknowledge a couple people because uh, when it comes to these leadership topics, nothing that I'm talking about is brand new, right? Nothing uh, nothing that I'm talking about is a concept that hasn't been, hasn't been talked about or developed before. Uh, so there's a couple people that I want to acknowledge because if you hear me and you go, oh, that sounded like a podcast or a person um but uh fire chief matt morris who currently runs the puget sound rfa uh fire chief steve heitman who currently runs the renton regional rfa uh and then podcasters and authors uh tim ferris andrew huberman jocko willing simon Sinek, and rich roll are just name a few people that i'm really big fans of so if i say something you're like oh that sounds a lot like somebody else i want to, if i don't mention it um i want to make sure that those people get the the, the proper credit for it absolutely so uh to answer your question berlin you know uh, one of the things that i talk talked about was to be average. And I, I clarified that with that doesn't mean being mediocre, right? Being mediocre, being run of the mill is much different than being average. That, those terms are often used the same, but they're very, they're very different. And uh, back in that uh, episode or uh, recruit cl- uh, class five uh, graduation speech that I shared, uh, and I know it's been coined by a lot of people, but uh, Tim Ferriss, who's a podcaster, he said, you are the average of the five people that you surround yourself by. And uh, I, I had heard him say that a number of times on a number of different podcasts. And and then in one of his cat podcasts, he actually broke it down. And and he said, you know, what what is meant by that is that if you if you want to be great at doing something, surround yourself by people who are great at doing that. And kind of the example he gave that really resonated, he said, have you ever have you ever been in a, a really good mood and mm. walk into a place where there's a bunch of people who are angry and pissed off and, and downtrodden? And then after about four or five minutes, yeah. you're you go, you're like, man. I'm angry and I, yeah. like, I don't even know why I'm yeah. angry. Uh, and, and, and conversely, like you're not having a great day and then yeah. you walk into a group of people who are laughing and having a good time. And they're after a while, they're able to bring your spirits up and uh, you're like, 
Oh, yeah, I guess it was in a bad mood. And, and, you know, a lot of times you just you don't recognize mm-hmm. the change in your personality, the change in your demeanor, the change in the way you're acting. Uh, the other thing is, is if, uh, and, you know, my apologies to any CrossFitter that I might offend here, but, you know, you, you, Not me. you, you walk into, a, you know, you walk into a CrossFit gym and you, you can kind of tell after somebody's been there for a while, now they've got the compression sleeves on their legs and they're doing like, the, they've got the CrossFit, you know, logos and stuff. Yep. On. And we see that in a lot of different yep. things, but um and so yeah the people that you surround yourself by yeah the people that you're influenced by you become you you kind of become the culmination of, yeah. of that group right yeah. and so if you if you want to be average be the average of exceptional people yeah, absolutely right? be yep. the average of exceptional people and so if you want to be an exceptional firefighter find the best firefighters in your organization in your region in your mm-hmm. state go to the national fire academy if you want to be if you want to be the best training officer surround yourself by good training officers yeah. ask them questions what is it that you do yeah. how did you get to where you're going you know if you want to be a great academic whatever it is yeah. if you surround yourself by phenomenal people those phenomenal people are going to bring you up yeah. and you know be, and I always tell people, be exceptional at your job. Uh, you, When you come in here, you have the opportunity. And even if you decide to ride backwards on a fire engine or roll around in a patrol car or sit on a medic unit your entire career, there's nothing There's nothing wrong with that. But be the absolute best that you can be. Yeah. And the one... Um, and, you know, the one thing that I do tell people is that if you're going to be the best at what you can be, um, it means that you have to make it a you have to make it a habit. And um, the uh, the ha- and so when I talk to people about uh, when I talk to people about habits, uh, you you have to be able to get up every day and do it with some intention. Uh, and you have to have a process in order to make yourself better. I tell people every day that I come to work, I try to leave work a little bit better than when mm-hmm. I got here. And if, uh, and even if it's just by a small percentage, it doesn't have to be some big thing, but it was it's something new that I learned, something new that I understood. So again, whether you're a cop, firefighter, paramedic, no matter what it is, is if you're, if you come to work with the aspiration of learning something and being a little bit better than you were the day before, you're, you, you start to come compile that over a history of a year, two years, a career, you're going to be phenomenal at your job. I always tell people that uh, if, when you do this, have a process. We talked a little bit about, you know, losing weight New Year's. Again, we're at the beginning of January, 2023. Everybody has their New Year's resolutions. And so when you talk to people, everybody has a New Year's resolution of, it's usually I want to lose weight. I want to get in shape. And the question I always ask them is, how are you going to do that? Because if you don't, then uh, there's a great saying that says process saves us from the poverty of our intentions. I'll say that again. Process saves us from the poverty of our intentions. And so if uh, if you ever read the book Atomic Habits by James Clear, um, he's got a great line in there that says, you do not rise to the level of your intentions, you fall to the level of your systems. And you can substitute systems with habits or process. And so when somebody says, hey, I want to lose weight, uh, what is that? What does that mean? How are you going to do it? Uh, I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to do these other things. And most of the time, it's the process is it's going to take. It's not going to happen overnight because you can do things that are extreme. You can go on a 
ketogenic diet where you're not going to eat any carbs, you can fast for nine days, or you can do, you know, uh, these extreme things. But very rarely do people are able to are people able to accomplish goals in a very short period of time. It's that slow process, that slow that that slow accumulation of things to where you get to the point where you go, okay, I've I've done this little bit at day after day after day after day, and after a week, a month, a year, a couple of years. Um, all of a sudden you find yourself in a much better place. And so you have to have a system in place in order to be able to do it. And so that, that comes with being exceptional. You're not going to, you're not going to go from firefighter to fire chief in a month. It's going, it takes years of slow, steady improvement and, and, and it takes a process. So I always encourage people have a process It goes back to, to keeping accountable. Part of that, part of that process should be like, Hey, who, who, who have I told, right? If I tell Bill, I'm like, Hey, Bill, my goal is to run a marathon by the end of the year. And he's like, okay, Aaron, I'm going to check and make sure that you're following, you're following some sort of process. So, so that's what I mean by the, the difference between being average and being mediocre. Yeah, yeah. Um, be the be the average of exceptional uh, people. Well, I, I mean, I love it, and you say that process because there's is a, it's a saying out there, right? You'll the highly successful people or the not they'll 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 pay the price for success, mm-hmm. or you'll pay the price for failure. Absolutely. Either way, you pay the price. So Absolutely. why not pay the price to succeed? And so so. I just want to unpack a couple of things. There's a lot in that in you know, that conversation. Yeah. I, I love it, man. I really do. You know, you know one of the things that I've thought a lot about as far as leadership is is establishing that culture of, of the organization. I'm getting to work what you're talking about about the being average. You know, and I've mentioned this before in a podcast that one of the things I've you know, one of the books I've read and because it's an easy read and I'm sports minded was the whole idea of legacy, right? The New Zealand All Blacks. One of the things they talk about as a team of being the sick, we're talking about a team that wins 82% of all their matches, yeah. right? The highest yeah, yeah. winning percentage of all professional sports. Um, when you look at why they win is one of the, one of their mantras that they have is they believe that it's not about winning, right? It's, you know, some people are all about winning, trying to be the best, you know, being number one. Um, and you think of some organizations out there and there are plenty of them out there that want to be like, look at me, I'm the best. Mm-hmm. The all blacks really believe in this whole concept that like you're talking about, about being average is they just don't want to suck. Right. Right. They don't, they hate, they hate the taste of losing. Right. So as long as they're getting better each and every day, that's their culture, their organization. And they're, they're brutally honest with each other so that they, they're, they are meeting that standard of not sucking. Right. I mean, so it's not about the win. It's about getting a little bit better each and every day. And that's kind of where you're going with that whole, you know, the average thing. So I think that's a great point to bring up, you know, and being challenged. You know, if you think about like the history of the fire service, you know, back in the day, incident commanders very rarely had an aid. Right. They wanted to lead the fire by themselves. They wanted to be in the back of a standing. At that time, we stood behind the rig, but we wanted to stand in the front yard and point and really give commands. And it, it was a little offensive if someone came up and challenged you right if they came up and said hey do you know this is going on you'd be like oh yeah of course i knew that right 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 and now though we've developed a new fire service leader is all about you know i love it you know when i see chief graziani getting the, getting next to me in the bc rig and say hey you need some help and i'm like yeah 
And I love seeing Chief Tyron sitting in my backseat in my IMT going, hey, let's do this. And I love it when you challenge me. And I want you to challenge me. And what has it done that's made us better um, as leaders and has made, makes us better as an organization? So challenging each other to be a little bit better is another key element I just wanted to touch on real quickly. Um, you know, that whole idea of making yourself better. But then the whole idea of having honest conversation, have someone challenge you too is real important. Yeah, and it, and it has to be a habit. It really does. It yeah. can't be a... It can't be a, oh, hey, there's a promotion coming up. And so I'm going to stick everything at, you know, I'm going to crunch everything into three or four months yeah. to try to make myself better. It doesn't work that, that way. Yeah. It has, it has to, be, to be intentional. It really has to, it, it has to be intentional and it has to be every day. Yeah. It, it really does. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot. Yeah. The thing is, is that if you take, if you're, if, if you're on shift uh, in the fire service and you're working 24 hour shifts, if you take 15 mm-hmm. minutes a shift, that's two to four hours a month. Yeah, you know that, and then that turns into forty-eight hours a year, and, I, and you know, you, and that's just that's fifteen minutes a yeah. shift. That's not even on your off time. Yeah, um, and it's so easy to do nowadays. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I really encourage people. That it, I, I tell people I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I'm, I'm not, and I never will be. Uh, but the thing that I was is I was motivated. Yeah, and I, I was motivated to try to be the best person that I could be. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as a medic, because people's lives depended on it. Uh, they, they, you know, if I'm going out and dealing with somebody in a, with a medical emergency, um, if somebody, it's, it's a big responsibility for the moves that you're going to make in the next three or four minutes are going to determine whether somebody lives or die or, or has potential liver die. And I know that sounds a little dramatic, but that was really my driving force of when I showed up on scene. I wanted to make sure that you know, when Aaron Tyreman and his partner showed up on scene, we gave the, that person every opportunity to live. Um, and that just kind of carried over into a bunch of different aspects of my life. Yeah. Well, then I, I, I say this, I joke in every, every episode, cause I'll bring it back to a sports analogy. So I apologize to those listeners that aren't into sports, but we've talked about this a couple of times before is, uh, you take us, you know, you take an athlete, an elite athlete, whether it be a Tom Brady or I'll use uh, even the Kobe Bryant of his, of his, of his time was, He'd say I, he'd get up at four a.m. and he'd go to he'd go to the gym and he'd work out, and everyone else didn't go to the gym until I mean practice started at three a.m. or three three p.m. after school, and he's like, you 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 take that work ethic of being up at four a.m. every day. Well, of course, after a year, and he'll explain it as he's had quantum leaps over everybody else because, like what you said, is it's every day, it's a few minutes. And nobody else is doing it. So yeah, you might not be better than anybody after a day or a week or a month, but after four years, they they can no longer catch up. Right. Because he's put all this time, those 15 minutes, like you said, every day, it would take someone an entire career to now catch up. Yeah. So when we're talking about building skill sets, building you know competency, and it's it's not it's not how much it's like it's uh, and Simon Sinek. I heard you mention Simon Sinek's name. He he says, you know, what does brushing your teeth two minutes a day do nothing nothing it doesn't do anything right it, it, or going to the gym uh once a day it does actually nothing right until you do it every day yeah that's where it actually happens you can brush your teeth for eight hours one day that does nothing more than brushing it for two minutes one day right it's that continuous every day and you see the, the progress a year later five right. years later so i love that part that you mentioned you know it just takes 15 minutes because 
That's all you can do. Yeah. You, you can only take care of the little things. Yeah. And we've talked about that plenty. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. You mentioned that is that that's a great, that's a great video clip. If you've never seen it, it's on IQ. Um, and he talks about, yeah, you go to the, you go to the gym once for eight hours and look in the mirror and nothing. Yeah. It's that, you know, it, it, he starts off. Do you love your wife? Yeah. You know, right. it, it, it's like, what it, but it's that it's, you go to the gym for one hour, three times a week for a year and you lose weight, you're in better shape, you know, cut, doing a big extravagant thing for your, for, for him, for his wife one time, you know, I buy you chocolates and flowers and tell you, I love you Yeah. one day out of the year. Yeah. It's, it, she, she's not going to love you. That's right? not it. Yeah. yeah. So no, it's, it's, it, it really is. It's the, it's the small accumulation of a bunch of little things. Yep. That's not, totally. it's, it's rarely ever the big thing. Yep. Uh, so let's jump in this. You wanted to talk vulnerable leadership. So vulnerability, that's a, uh, it's a tough word to, you know, as, as a leader, and you yeah. talk about vulnerabilities. Like you talk about vulnerability, and it's something I don't want to be vulnerable. That's that's scary. Yeah. So let's jump into that. What do you mean by vulnerable leadership? Yeah. So I think that the, the the one of the first things to do is is uh, define, you know, like what does it mean to be a leader? And I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. I've, I've listened to the podcast, but how much you've talked about that, you know, what it truly means to be a leader, um, and, and the difference between a leader and a manager. You know, when it comes to leaders, uh, the big thing to remember is that, you know, as you as you progress through leadership, you know, in the in the fire service, as you go up the ranks and, and we can also talk about formal and informal leaderships, but leadership is, is not about being in charge. Right? It's about taking care of those in your charge. Right? You, you're not you're the, the higher you go up in leadership in the ranks the actually less important you are when it comes to taking care of the community. Mm-hmm. And I know, and, and it's, and I say that to people and they go, well, wait, what do you mean? And so for instance, when I was in Maple Valley and, and I was the fire chief, I said, yeah, if you look at an organizational chart, my name's listed at the top, but in the, in, in, in the essence of what's important, I'm actually at the very bottom. And so if I'm following traditional rank structure, my job was to take care of the deputy chief. The deputy chief was his responsibility at the time was to take care of our three battalion chiefs. The battalion chiefs, they were responsible for taking care of the captains on shift. The captain on shift was responsible for taking care of the firefighter and the engineer, who ultimately was responsible for taking care of the community members. So which is which which is our top priority is the most important person. In, in the organization is the community members that we go out and serve. And so it's really important for, for us leaders to remember, like, we're not in charge, right? It's not our job to be in charge. Our responsibility and leadership is to take care of those people mm-hmm. who are going to go out and, and be in charge. And I think what happens a lot is there is a difference between a leader and a manager, and I mean, and you can debate the semantics back and forth, but you know, you lead people, you manage things. And the one thing in the fire service that that I've discovered over the years, and and even in my time with uh, in, in EMS, was that we are actually most of the time we're managers, even when we think we're in a leadership position. So if you're a battalion chief and you're going out and you're going to you're going to run a fire and all the people, you're actually managing the scene. And the people that are there obviously already know what they're doing. They know what their assignments are. Your job is to make sure that things are just managed. Um, And so, you know, we go, we look at people a lot of times and we go, oh, you're in a leadership role. And a lot of times what we find here in public safety is that most of the time we're actually managing um, and we're managing projects. So when you're leading, you're actually leading people. Mm -hmm. 
and, and when you're leading people, you're empowering people to get better. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I often find that, you know, when we talk about the difference between leading and managing, you know, that, that a lot of times people go, I'm a leader. And the reality is, is that you're actually a manager most of the time. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems that we have is that in, in emergency services, we usually manage to about 80%. Like very rarely do we see things to fruition. And if you think about it, somebody picks up the phone and calls 911. And if it's an EMS call, we get to the hot, we get to the patient, we either transport the patient, put them in some sort of transport uh, vehicle, and then we get them off to the hospital. Like we never finish it. We, you, we go, we go on a structure fire, we get the fire put out, make sure there's no additional life safety hazards. And then we turn it over to an investigator or somebody else. And so, um, so what happens is, is we put people in leadership roles who aren't ever really taught leadership. They're really, really good managers, um, but they uh, they haven't been they haven't really been taught how to lead. And the mistake that comes with that is that we assume that you know John's a really, really great suppression firefighter and he's a really great battalion chief, which means he's going to be a great leader. Right? One has absolutely mm-hmm. nothing to do with the other. Right? There are aspects of it as as you're coming through the ranks to learn how to you know lead and mentor people but the one thing that i think that we don't do a good job of is turning our managers truly into leaders um and it, you know and it's a big thing and you know what it's uh, uh one of the things that we you know you talk about and as all of us sitting at this table have when, when we've gone through like a promotion one of the things that managers are good at doing a lot of times is micromanaging and so the question is is like why why does that happen like, why is it that when you get promoted, you you start micromanaging? Like, I, I'll, I'll kick it. I, I, have, I have a theory, but I'll kick it back to the group of, of, of why, why. Why do you think that happens when you get promoted, you end up micromanaging? Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, it's a great question. People fall back into it. It's, it you know, one is that it's it's a comfort thing. Like, you think, like, I, I can, I'm the only one who can do this job or this task. And I dip into something kind of going back to the uncomfortable thing. Like sometimes it's very, very uncomfortable for me to have someone else do something without me having my fingers and that trust and all of that culture that's in it. So, I mean, I think, is that kind of where you're going with Yeah, yeah, no, you're spot on, Bill. Is is that it, you know, earlier we talked about being uncomfortable. And yeah. What does that mean to be uncomfortable? Well, if you go from captain to battalion chief, so, you know, when John was a captain, why did he get promoted to battalion chief? Because he was really, really good at jo- a job of being a captain. And obviously he took a test and he got promoted. But what with his first day on the job is, is a battalion chief. The person who just took over in his seat, right, he or she is not going to be as good as John was when John just stepped out of the sheet, out of the seat. And subsequently, John is probably not a great battalion chief yet being his first day on the job. So what do we do? We fall back to the job that we used to do Mm -hmm. because that's what we were good at. And instead of leading and mentoring that person, um, you end up doing their job because you actually know how to do it better than they do. But I'll share with you a personal story. And it came when I left uh, King County Medic 1 as the Deputy Chief of Operations. And I moved to Maple Valley Fire as the fire chief. I had been there probably about two or three weeks. And at the time, the Deputy Chief um, of Operations one afternoon, he stuck his head in my office and he's like, hey, Chief, can I take you out to lunch? And I'm like, absolutely. And uh, so we went across the street, sat down to have some lunch and, and I'm sitting there talking and, 
and I can tell that something's on his mind. And I said, Hey, what's, what's going on? And he looked at me and he's like, why don't you trust me? And I go, uh, what? And he goes, he goes, I, he goes, I've just been racking my brain. Why don't you trust me? And I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, well, you've come in and all these operational decisions, you know, people are starting to ask you and you're now starting to make these decisions in operations. And the only thing I can come up with is you don't trust me. And I realized at that point that for the last three years, I've been an ops chief. I was pretty good at the job. And I stepped into this new scary role of being a fire chief. And so what did I do is I went back to my position of comfort and I was like, oh, so I started making operational decisions and cutting the the current ops chiefs. I cut his legs out right from underneath him. And and so I think that's important is is that when we get promoted, we have to have that self-awareness that, yeah, this is uncomfortable and it's a little bit scary. And I really don't not a hundred percent sure I know what I'm doing. Um, and, uh, and so you end up, uh, so you end up getting, you end up micromanaging the people underneath you because you used to do, you used to be able to do the job and you probably got promoted because you did that job really, really well. Hey, one, one thing that I love is this whole idea of, uh, of the manager versus the leader, you know, and you're right. We, we talked a little bit about it, but it's really, really, really important because I think, you know, as we go move in through this podcast and this conversation, we talk about what can emerging leaders do and kind of that some of those next conversations, you know, leadership is something that's learned. It's a learned behavior. They are, you know, tendencies that you might be born with, but you're not born a leader. It's something that you can learn. And we've talked a lot. And I just want to hit that point again, that, you know, managing is something that you are, kind of put into by role and by responsibility, but leading is something that each and every one of the listeners out there, each and one of every one of our firefighters can do. You know, we see it in academy. You know, we have this kid that maybe has a little bit of fire service experience and he grabs his his group of recruits and he says, Hey, we're gonna be better. We're gonna, you know, do this, we're gonna do that. And he's a leader right there. But we're talking about a kid who's been in the fire service formally for weeks and he's a leader. And we see it with, you know, our senior firefighters on shift who grab, you know, a young probationary firefighter and go out and drill with them. You know, we see it with our, you know, our young company officers. We see it with, so the point being is that you can lead at any level. That's where you are, you know, that you don't have to wait till a certain point in your career till you pass the 10-year mark or the 20-year mark yeah. or like us old fart, the 30-year mark. Yeah. Um, but you don't have to wait till then to lead. You can lead from day one. Absolutely. Um, and you can lead at any time. You don't need to have, you know, bugles and bars. Right. No, it's absolutely true. And leadership is a skill like any other, like any everybody everybody has the capacity to lead everybody does um and, and if you followed anything by jocko willink and read any of his book he, he talks about leading up and down the chain of command and and that's and it's it built exactly to your point is is the the what's on your collar is just an insignia or it's just a uh, it shows what your rank is and what your responsibilities are. That doesn't mean that you have the, the that you necessarily are a leader. And so, my expectation every day is that I expect my my chief, who is my boss, the fire chief of the organization, to lead me. And I also expect the people that work for me to lead me. Just because John and I don't share the same rank, I hope that John. And that I've created an environment where John feels like he can come in and he can say, Hey chief, or Hey Aaron, this is, you know, don't step on this landmine or, you know, have you thought about this or here's a different, per- here's a different perspective. Um, if you, uh, you know, and so, yeah, to your point, yeah. it should, even the, the brand new recruit. I, I, and honestly, 
I'm more interested at times for the firefighter who's day one on the job that has some sort of other life experience, what he or she has to teach me. Because, Bill, if you and I have been in this career for 30 years and we've been in the same organization around the same people, like our, we probably mesh on quite a few things. But if I get somebody, a 25, 26, 30-year-old person, and they've just come out of the DOD or they've come out of a, a civilian job somewhere else, they might have a completely different perspective on what it's like to, to tackle the situation where you and I are running just off of experience right. and the things that we've been doing. So there are times where like, I'm looking for the person who's only been in this organization for a couple of weeks to lead me, you know? So uh, real quickly, the, to quote Spider-Man though, remember with, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. So that, so that, so that leadership, that you're choosing to do can go up and down. Yeah, a lot of times we think of it as positive leadership. Yep. But the other point to remember to break to break that into is that if you're also, you know, having a negative attitude, if you want to be disgruntled, you want to do a poor job, not be out there doing that extra stuff, you also can lead the organization down and your crew down and you can be a leader negatively. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's uh it's interesting, you know, when you when you talk about leadership and 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 Bill, kind of to your point. Um, leadership is tough. It mm-hmm. really is. Leadership, true leadership, often comes with great personal sacrifice. Mm-hmm. It really does. And you know, when when everything's going right, the good leaders, you have to give away all the credit. Mm-hmm. When when things are going wrong, you take all the blame. Mm-hmm. And you know that that's that's really what good leadership is all about. And what you know, a lot of times, what you don't realize is is that there are all sorts of things that happen in from a, a leadership perspective that uh uh you know it that nobody that, no, that hardly anybody sees you know i i couldn't imagine you know we're, we're just coming out of the pandemic and what we had here locally in the seattle king county area with uh, when it came to uh when it came to the vaccine mandate and everything else like our fire chiefs and our executive staffs and our uh, on our uh, from our unions, I mean, they had to deal with things that nobody ever had to deal with, and um, and you know, and there's times you know you, you lay in bed at night and you, and you worry and you fret. Um, so the, you know, leadership is leadership is tough. Um, but for them to come and circle back and, and to answer your question about being about being vulnerable and and really what it means to be a vulnerable leader. You know, a lot of times people think they go, oh, man, vulnerability. It's not mm-hmm. you're not sitting around going like, oh, you know, you're crying and doing all sorts of things. You know, vulnerable is is having the ability to say that it's OK. I don't I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure what to do next. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we if we go back to the you know, kind of the pandemic example that I just talked about, you know, show of hands, you know, how many fire chiefs and, and union leaders had dealt with a mm-hmm. pandemic before where there was a vaccine mandate and yep. you were, exactly. you know, they were, they were telling that firefighters couldn't come to work. And so I, I want somebody who has the courage to stand up and go, I don't, uh, I don't know what to do in this situation. Mm-hmm. Right. The, uh, it's the misconception is that you have to know everything as a leader is a farce. Yeah. You know, and that, and that's really what, what struck me uh, was, was, you know, I, I've run into so many people that when they put three bugles, four bugles, five bugles on their collars that they, oh, you know, and, and like, oh, I'm now the chief of the organization. Oh, my gosh, I have to have all the answers, because if I don't have the answer, then people are going to think I'm incompetent. 
Now, because there's a big difference between uh, emergent and non-emergent situations. Now, if we go out on a cardiac arrest and somebody's dying and I'm like, oh, I have no idea what to do, right? No, that's a job that you're, you're paid to do. Mm-hmm. You have to know you, this is what you're getting paid to do. Or if we go on a structure fire and the battalion chief shows up, it's like, man, I have no idea what's going on, you know? Yeah. I'm being vulnerable. Like, no, that's not it at all. Yeah, yeah. And when we're talking about kind of life and death situations, but in, in situations where you don't know what's going on, like true vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, I, I often hear people talk about vulnerability as a weakness. Vulnerability could not be farther from weakness. Mm-hmm. True vulnerability actually takes courage and it takes yeah. bravery. Because if you think about the times in your life where you've had to be vulnerable, it's it, it, it's usually in times with great courage, right? It's times when you've sat across from your spouse and said, you know what, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. It's the time that somebody has sat across from you and said, I have a problem with drugs or alcohol, right? If, if making yourself that vulnerable, there is no weakness in that. Yeah. That takes absolute courage and that takes absolute bravery. Yeah. You know, when you're, when you're able to say, man, I have no idea what to do next. Yeah. Um, that, that requires a lot of, that, that requires a lot of courage. And so when I hear people talk about vulnerability, um, as a weakness, uh, for me, I, 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 I shudder a little bit because what happens if we elect to be in, invulnerable? Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and because we, we've worked with those leaders who go, I can't admit that I don't know something. Yeah. I can't admit that I might be wrong. I can't show empathy towards people because people are going to see it as being weak. Mm-hmm. And what do you get? You get single-minded egomaniacs mm-hmm. that drive organizations and morale into the ground. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we, and we, and we can't afford that. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, to, to be vulnerable as a leader, you know, you, you, you like I said, I, I, I hear you say, Oh, it's scary. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is scary. Yeah. But I think the good leaders, the, the leaders who do it and they do it well, um, and I believe that uh, if if you're not, if, if you're afraid to be vulnerable, then you probably shouldn't be in a leader yeah. position. Well, it goes back to the saying. I mean, if if, if leadership was easy, everybody would probably be doing it wrong, mm-hmm. right? Or everybody would be doing it. So, well, hot coffee time comes early in this episode. And hot coffee time is where we talk about something controversial or just a hot topic. I'm, uh, I'm excited to talk about this generational leadership and where you're going to take us because I'm sure uh, it's going to create some good conversation. So take us on this journey if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what's super interesting is, uh, is it's the first time in a long time that we actually have the four generations still working in the fire service. So when you talk about the baby boomers, those are the post-World War II, 1946 to 1964. Gen Xers, which I think are all of us sitting in this room mostly, are, are, are that uh, 1965 to 1980. The Millennials are the Gen Yers are the 81s to, to 96. And then the Gen Zers are that 97 to 2012. And to your point, uh, Berlin, it's the, uh, uh, you know, the, they're, they're now starting to come into the fire service, right? We actually have Gen Zers. My son's mm-hmm. a Gen Zer. 
uh, currently in the Air Force. And yeah, now we're starting to see those people in. And so what's interesting is, um, you know, if, it, if you just take a quick historical peek back, if you look at these groups of people, you know, the baby boomers post-World War II, um, the United States as a whole was in a really, really good place after World War II. Um, everybody, you know, uh, it was a boom economy. There was, there was, everybody had a job. Uh, you know, we had a common enemy at that time, right? Mm. Everybody was, uh, um, and so we were, we were united on a lot of fronts. And, uh, and so then, the, then us Gen Xers came along and it, we were really the first generation to have, uh, to have, you know, technology at our fingertips, you know, as, as we got, you know, when I was in my, when I was in college was the first time I had a computer and it was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic. And then the millennials came along and, and, uh, and now the Gen Zers. And so what we hear a lot is, is that, you know, the millennials and this newer generation doesn't have the same work ethic as we do. Uh, and they don't, you know, they don't, they don't have the same value systems. They don't have the same belief systems. And, and I just, I got to call BS on that. Um, you know, what, what you see is, is that you see people are, are different. Um, and, you know, all the, like our, our Gen Zers, they don't know life without technology. They've had they've had technology at their fingertips since the day they were born, right? since they were little. I mean, they've had there's been iPads and iPhones and smartphones. And when they by the time they were in junior high, they had all this technology at their fingertips. And so they communicate differently than we do. And so, like, I, you know, my daughter, my daughter currently is 19 years old and I, I text with her all the time and see how she's doing. She doesn't live with us. Um, she's away at school. And uh, like, I have a great text conversation with her all the time. Like, I pick up the phone and talk to her, and it's like, "Hey, how's your day? Good. What are you doing? That much, right?" And so mm-hmm. it, they mm-hmm. just they communicate differently than we do. And so, you know, the thing is, is when we talk about the fire service, I heard you mention uh, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and and you know, we're, we were trying to get to a point where we're bringing people in with different ideals the way people with different perspectives and the way they think, see things in the fire service. And yeah, these, this newer generation sees things differently than what we do, but thank God that they do. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't want a bunch of clones of me and you and everybody else. I want somebody to come in and say, Hey, you've brought us to this point. I'm going to make it different because if we tried, if, if we take this new generation, these millennials and these Gen Zers, and we try to make them into clones and carbon copies of us, then we're going to we're, we're going to alienate them. We're going to push them away. We're going to destroy the culture in the fire service. It is not their job to acclimate to us. It is our job to acclimate to them. Right now, that doesn't mean that we change the values of the organization. And Berlin, you, met, you mentioned Simon Sinek, you know, mm-hmm. who always talks about, and, and my fire chief talks about. Why we do what we do in the fire service is never going to change. It should never change. Right? We go out and we're taking care of our community members. How we how we do fire suppression, how we do EMS, that's going to evolve. Mm-hmm. Right? We have a huge training division that updates us on the new things that are going on every single day. What we do is going to change. Right? We run a mobile integrated healthcare unit out of here that has a nurse and a social worker on it. Like, so what we're doing is changing. So it, it doesn't mean we have to change the values of the organization. It doesn't mean we have to change why we're doing. 
but we we as leaders need to make sure that we are uh, are accommodating them because i always laugh when i hear people go you know oh they're the future leaders we're the leaders now mm-hmm. like we're the leaders now we're the ones that are that should be deciding what the culture is yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so when people look and they go, Hey, you know, these people are different. I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, it's not them. They're human beings, just like the rest of us. And they want to work in a place where they feel like somebody cares about them. And are you ready for the big reveal? Yes. Right? Of course. Is that's what we all want. Yeah. Right. That's what all of us want is we just want to work somewhere where we feel like somebody cares about mm-hmm. us and somebody, somebody cares about what we're doing. And if somebody sits there and says, oh, I'm satisfied just by the work that I do and I never need a pat on the back, yeah, you're full of crap, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, a couple of years ago, I attended a, a leadership summit, and I'm, I'm going to butcher the, the percentages, but they said on average, and this it was not just inclusive of the fire service, that about 20% of your workforce is looking for a new job every day. And with the acknowledgement of them or a little bit of appreciation once a month, that number drops to under 5%. And, and so, you know, really what it is is some, they just want to come to work mm-hmm. and they want, and they just want to be appreciated mm-hmm. for what they do and they want to be heard and they want to be understood. Yeah. And it, it's probably different than what the way that I take it or I get it. Um, but yeah, if we don't, if, if we don't have the ability to accommodate them into our workforce and make them feel welcome, we're just going to continue to push that divide mm-hmm. and, and it's just going to get worse. So kind of, kind of funny, I had an epiphany a couple of weeks ago when I was coming home from my class. I was helping um, uh, Chief Hammes do an initial blue card class. And I started thinking about this whole, and this is going back to your millennial thing. Now, if we slide the bar back years ago, we had very little communications training, but we had a lot of tactical training. Mm-hmm. If you think about the tactical training we did back then, we did these stick-do classes and mick classes and tactical operations classes. But, but we, we didn't, didn't do a lot with communications. And then Blue Card came along. And, you know, I've been, been there since the evolutions of the Blue Card. Yeah, I've been an instructor for over 10 years. Um, but then Blue Card rolls around, and we really hit communications really, really, really hard, you know. And then, you know, we moved forward where communications became the big thing that we talked about. We stopped teaching a lot of the tactical part of our, our world. And where the epiphany came from was the other day we're at this class and I was talking about good news reporting. And I was saying, hey, only get on the radio if you have something that's pertinent to say, blah, blah, blah. And I could see the eyes blaze over the students. And I'm like, stop. And I had this moment where I'm like, one of the students like raised their hands. They're like, chief, why would we do that? You know, like, why would we say anything that wasn't important on the radio? And after I went, wait a second. Yeah. I mean, they are coming from a place where they, you know, I use the example of we used to announce when we would go into structure, right? We'd stand the door and say, command, you know, ancient one going through the front door. And they're like, you know, that's what we did. So I realized that, the, you know, this, this generation that I'm bagging on a little bit and saying that, you know, whatever, they have no work ethic or whatever the words you want to say, the bias I'm putting on them is that, they, they just need to be taught a little bit differently, mm-hmm. you know, because they have no fear with radio communications. I mean, they right. come in and nail promotions exams all the time where they just come in and just check every box off. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, sometimes if you stop and ask them, hey, why are you doing what you're doing? That's where it gets a little bit more dangerous. That's where you can separate the gold a little bit. Um, 
But the concept is, is that we need to start giving them what they need and not what we think that they want, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And stop giving them that. And, uh, you know, that was a moment where I was like, man, yeah, they're right. Like, I used to spend a whole half a day talking about communication and what we do and don't do. Right. And now these kids are coming out of the academy they're able to give progress reports. Mm-hmm. They're able to do all this radio stuff that I would have shaked in my boots to give. Right. You know, when I was in there, it's the same amount of time they've been in. So, you know, that's a great point. You know, this whole idea of, you know, we had to start making those connections. Mm-hmm. You know, I used this example before that you know, when we hired on, you got on with a you know, senior medic on, on the medic rig, mm-hmm. and he would tell you, hey, don't go in that place. Oh, so-and-so lives in this place. This yeah. place is a shithole. That kind of stuff. Um, but they had all those connections to the communities. Yeah. Today, we're not doing that same thing. And so we got to figure out as, as leaders how to make those connections with our new workforce, right? We don't have people that grew up in the community who know all the spots. You know, now we have a two-year guy riding with a one-year guy on right. the unit. We have a company officer who's been in seat for a year, you know, riding with a, a driver who's been in seat for two years. Right, right. So we got to figure out as leaders how to make those connections. And shame on us for not making those connections with them and that, and we oftentimes expect them to make connections with us right which they're not no you know? they're not going to they're not going to no and it's interesting too you know that that the other thing that i uh the other knock that i hear against the millennials and i'll, I'll just keep picking on that generation for a little bit <laughs> here i am is that, uh, taking yeah, notes yeah by the way is that uh, uh you know they're like oh you know you'd come in and we you know we would just once you got hired, you were going to do this job. Like I, I hit the lottery when I got hired, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and you know I was like I was never going to quit. And granted, I left I left Medic One, but I stayed within the system. And, and uh, but now we have people that come in and they they work here for four or five years, and they're like, "Hey, I'm, I'm going to go try something else." And we look at each other and go, "Yeah, what?" And and uh, and, and, I'm, and if you step back, you're like, "Wow, that actually takes a lot of courage to go." I don't think this is for me, whereas 15, 20 years ago, you're like, uh, well, I got 25 years till I retire, so I'm just going to keep grinding out because it's a good uh, because it's a good pension and a good retirement. And so, you know, I think we have to be prepared for that. Um, and also there's, you know, a lot of them are like, oh, they don't work all the overtime that we used to. And, you know, and, and I remember getting, you know, hearing that of like, hey, there's an open shift. Why aren't you taking it? And, and you know, a lot of this younger generation is like, I enjoy my days off. And they're doing what, honestly, what we should have been doing the whole time. Right. Instead of working sixty hours a week overtime, yeah. Um, you know, you should be taking that that opportunity to go out and take care of yourself. So, yeah, it's uh, it, it really is. Is at the end of the day, it's just they're they're people just like we are, have the same hope, desires, dreams that we do, same insecurities that we do. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I just think it's our job as leaders today to figure out how to make them successful for the future, for sure. I'm sitting uh, here with two chief officers in front of me talking about we need leaders to accommodate to those incoming generations. So because of our, our, our listener base, a lot of them are emerging leaders, right? Mm-hmm. Individuals that are you know, newer company officers, uh, maybe millennials themselves, maybe uh, some Gen Zers out there are thinking about taking those promotional exams upcoming. So I guess what I'm going to ask is, as we, with two chief officers in front of me talk about leaders need to accommodate, can you talk to the emerging leader briefly here, the need to accommodate the further generations, right? Because you've been around the fire service bill, you tired in 30, 30 years, right? You understand that. But now talk to the four, five, six, eight, nine-year employee who doesn't have the luxury of 30 years 
or to lean on the experience of 30 years. Yeah, for me, it's super easy. Be infinitely curious, right? Be infinitely curious. And I think if you approach, if you approach it from that perspective, if somebody comes in um, and let's say they're a different culture, they're a different religion, they like a different sports team, you know, they're, you know, because you could have five years on it'd be 20 years apart in age in this mm-hmm. department, yep. right? Yep. You've spent your entire career in the military. You come in, this is your secondary career. You're in your early forties and now I'm working with somebody who's in their early twenties. Um, and so I'd say be infinitely curious, right? You have to create an environment where people feel safe. And we talk about that all the time. Is, is that, and what does it mean to be, what does it mean to feel safe? Like I can ask questions, I can push back. And so if I ask you, I'm like, Berlin, why do you feel, believe, have this opinion that you're, it's not, I'm not putting you on the defense. Like, oh, why is Aaron asking me that? Is it, uh, you know, is he looking to poke a hole in something? Is he looking to try to set me up for something? And so I think that the key is, is for a captain or an engineer, you have somebody in your workplace that is just, they, they see the world differently than you do, which again, we talk about is mm-hmm. that's what we want is be infinitely curious. You know, why do you feel that way? Why do you believe that way? Why are you, you know, why is it then when we sit down to watch, sit in the recliners, go sit down and watch a movie that you want to, you know, go back to your bunk and, and watch a movie on your, on your iPad or your, your computer, whatever it is. And I think if you can create an environment where you're constantly learning, um, I, you know, I, you're you're in much better shape if uh, if you've ever read the book how to win friends and influence mm-hmm. people by dale carnegie there's one of my most favorite quotes by uh, ralph waldo emerson and it is uh, and I, i've modernized it a little bit but it's every person i meet is to, every person i meet is superior to me in some way mm-hmm. and you know and if you really think about that the homeless drug addict that we go downtown to pick up knows something that we don't if we're willing to listen, mm-hmm. the brand new probationary firefighter just coming into the station knows something that we don't, maybe not necessarily about suppression firefighting or extrication or EMS, but they know something and they have a belief system and their belief systems were, were shaped by, by, by a number of different things. And if you can create that environment where people feel that they can have those conversations and it's not hostile, um, you know that that's how you that's how you get that's how you get to that that yeah. place where you need to be. Uh, love it, and, and, and it, it takes work, work right? Yeah. I mean, it's not. I, I can't just sit down with you as a new firefighter, ask you one time something, and and try to make those connections with you. But it, it takes work of me being pretty consistent. You know, and the other thing is sometimes it's just asking. Like in in, in my life, and I'm you know, an old man that had a lot of experience with dealing with people. You know, there's been times where I've just in my brain have had a certain thought that this person doesn't like me because of X, or you know, believes in Y, or whatever it is. And I have them framed in that frame, and then later on, if I take the time to really ask or talk or dig into it a little bit, I find out. That had nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, they, they weren't, weren't mad, mad at me for this. Right. They're, they have a whole other thing that's going on with yeah. them. Right. You know, that that, that caused them to have that angst or yeah. upset or that resting bitch face or whatever it is. Right. I right. think that they had it against me personally. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, yeah. 
how uh, egocentric am I to think that everybody who has a bad, uh, upset-looking face is upset at me, right? right? Yeah. There's a thousand other things that they could be upset about. Yeah. You know, shame on me for thinking it's about me. Yeah. That's so important. That yeah. they, they you are. You're important. <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, you want to say a word about, you got to ask. You want to say it, but you didn't. What's that? You want to say be intentional, but you were afraid yeah, that. But I've learned the intentional counter. Where we we go back and forth about who says it more often. Yeah, he puts it on me, and I put it back on him. Yeah. Um, but you, you said, said something very important there. You said about the you have to get the environment right. So again, uh, Simon Sinek, and uh, I don't know if you're getting paid by Simon Sinek here, but we are quoting him quite a bit. He says, "Get environment right, you get the right behavior. Get the environment wrong, no wonder you get the wrong behavior from your from your employees, from your leaders. From it's 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 it seems so." rudimentary so but but we forget it's like, it's like the other saying it's like sometimes we just need to be reminded about the obvious then we do need to go out and learn new things right because it's the basic thing that, so yeah. one of the things that um you know kind of make my leadership team really strong is our ability to be able to again partially challenge but kind of remind each other about you know where we're going with something so i mean i think i think that uh we have really constructive um talks about things like i have a command staff meeting every monday and it's amazing that command staff meeting is a couple hours long and we're really kind of change up the format of it but really the thought process is i want my guys i want my assistant chiefs who work for me to kind of have dialogue right i want them to discuss when i bring something up i want them to have the freedom of that how many times we've all been in those meetings where no one says nothing all the time one guy's speaking he goes through the agenda and the ray and everyone closes their portfolios and walks out and you're like that was so unproductive right right i like to have an environment and and my group my leaders to be able to have the the comfort level like we don't debate i mean debate comes from a dark spot normally debate is me waiting until aaron stops so i can jump on him about my thought right mm-hmm. but we do have very good discussion and dialogue about stuff and then the last thing i'll say about that about having that that environment for your team is making sure that you're aligned when you go out right so when we leave the room we've worked it all out Mm-hmm. kind of have an answer we don't present anything until we're aligned and then we all have a common message leaving yeah. nothing's more damaging to an organization yeah. than to have your own silos mm-hmm. you know you have a shift doing things one way e yeah. shift doing things one way you know these got a group of guys at this station and station one doing things one way yeah um you know so just being a little bit aligned in those thoughts too yeah. and spending the time to get there yeah yeah for sure well, Chief, moving forward here, uh, this is a question that we've asked every guest speaker so far, because because people resonate differently with different people, and sure. obviously perspective is important. You know, we ask a question, a similar question to everybody. We'd like to see the perspective of our guest speaker. So in your experiences and perspectives, according to Chief Tyreman, what's a key? Give us a key, one or two or three. What are some attributes and you know, skill sets, characteristics, attitudes that is just for someone up and coming. Yeah, great question. So I'll, I'll go back to the, it, it. My first one's the same thing I just told you is be infinitely curious. Um, you know, look for, look for opportunities inside and outside of your organization, ask lots of questions, um, be open-minded to things. You know, um, I, uh, I had the, the, the privilege, I, I attended the Naval postgraduate schools where I got my master's degree in security studies and counterterrorism. And, um, you know, being affiliated with the Naval Academy and being able to go in, um, I used to think I was a pretty open-minded person, and and uh, I got in there and realized that I wasn't open-minded at all, and uh, and and so I I think that the, the easy thing to do is just ask lots of questions, be be curious, um, don't let other people's roadblocks 
be your roadblocks. If uh, hey, if I want to go out and I want to, I want, I want to try something, and somebody's like, uh, I, I tell Bill, hey, Bill, I'm going to try to do this new thing, and Bill's like, oh man, I tried to do that five years ago. It's never going to work. It's never going to happen. What I want to know is like, what are the hurdles that that you had? Where did you get tripped up? Not so that it can stop me, but so maybe I can learn from what you did and, and take it in a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, contrary to, you know, when you get in that, when you get kind of at the executive level where we're at, where you're always busy, um, you have to master the art of saying no, I think as an emerging mm-hmm. leader, you have to always, I, I'd say, always say yes. Um, there were, there were lots of times in my career, um, that somebody said, Hey, do you want to try this thing or do you want to do this thing? And I had no idea what it was, you know, no idea what I was getting into. Um, but it was an opportunity and it wasn't the fear of missing out more of it was, uh, doing something that I, uh, that I never thought I would do or doing the job that nobody else wanted to do. Um, what was, was the other big one is that, you know, I'd say, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Nobody else is willing to do that. I'll give it a shot. Um, whether it was a political liaison, whether it was to do some other things and, and the relationships that I, that I made and the people that I met and the experiences that I gained is what made me who I am today. And, um, in the last part, I think the last thing I would say is, um, you know, I, I told you guys, like, I'm, I'm no smarter than anybody else. Um, my superpower is in relationships. It really is. And I think I'm sitting with two people who have the exact same trait is that it's the, um, it's, it's the relationships are important. Mm-hmm. And so if you think that getting the promotion or doing whatever is, is, is paramount in this industry, in this business, in most businesses, in your personal life, relationships matter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you, if you really put some effort into the people around you, um, you'll, you'll get it back tenfold a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that's all you said curious here many, many times. And, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, uh, September was uh, the start of this podcast, right? And who would have known January, five months later, we'd be in episode six, right? Like, if you actually think, and, and Bill's with me here, it's like, we talked about this, what, four years ago, we were in training, and uh, and it's just like, can we do a podcast? Like, can we? I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, Bill, I think Bill mentioned it earlier, it's like, you know, who knows where this is going? We might fall on our face on episode one. And here we are uh, coming after, uh, I think, uh, if you look on Google, we're, we're creeping up on Joe Rogan podcast here, <laughs> viewers. Uh, we might pass him one day. But, but no, no it's, it's, I love to be infinitely curious because being curious is awesome because you just don't know what what you can accomplish or do. Yeah. You know, even if you do nothing with it, it was an experience on failure, an experience that you can learn from. So I love the curiosity part. Yeah. But also touching what, you know, Aaron said that uh, a little bit of fearlessness too, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm putting ourselves out there. We're, you know, we're exposing ourselves. Yeah. I mean, I've told stories yeah. about my family. I've told yeah. stories about, you know, my love for the Huskies. Yeah. told stories yeah, about my true. dad, you know, yeah. uh, things like that, that, yeah. that are exposing ourselves, yeah. but it's also making those relationships, making those connections, letting people know that it's okay to be that. Exactly. Well, and vulnerability, like you just <laughs> said. You there you go. That's right. Think about ourselves. So, so this, this is uh, this is awesome. I love it. And uh, one thing there, master saying no. I love that you said that, Chief. I uh, wrote that down, and I and I need to go home and, and and I need to work on that. That's what I need to work on. Uh, so, Aaron, tell me, non-negotiables for you. Like, what, what are what are the things? Give, give us. We've asked this to everybody. And we've had. It's funny. There's been a theme, and I want to see if you hit that theme. Uh, but what are non-negotiables for you for an organization or for leadership? Physical and mental health. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the, you know, the one thing that we, 
you know, I, I good leaders are always talking about um, you have to take care of yourselves. You have to, you have to, you have to do things that that enrich you and make you better and take time off. And we're the worst people at doing mm-hmm. it. Um, and and so for me, you know, I've I've said that everybody everybody in my uh, in my divisions uh, had a mandatory had to spend a mandatory one hour with Captain Rossum. Uh, down here, and he's the health and wellness coordinator for the for the South King County Fire Training Consortium. And in in like I have my civilian staff, my uniform staff, like they have to get out and they have to work out and they have to do something physical. And for me, it's a it's a non negotiable. Um, every every day that I'm here at work at three o'clock, I have a standing I have a standing time with Captain Rawson, and he puts me through the paces and. Uh, I see our department psychologist who um, has who's been around and and uh, you know in, in, in de um, stigmatizing you know mental health and destigmatizing the fact that I, I'm very open with people to tell them like yeah I, I see Dr. Maureen Pearson and, and uh, we you know a, a lot of times it's just what they call a check under the hood mm-hmm. uh, but yeah so physical and mental well being is is absolutely non-negotiable for me those are my that that hour every day with captain rawson is is my hour with him um and what i tell people is is that you want me there because the hour that i spend with him i leave all the stress i leave everything else um he works me out hard keeps me in good physical shape i keep he helps me keep me mentally in shape uh in a good place and and uh and then i'm a better i get to be a better deputy chief for, mm-hmm. for everybody else so I, I, yeah, I think that speaks for itself. It's a, and I obviously I, I need to be better at it as well. But I'm I'm into physical and mental health as well. I actually have started to see Dr. Maureen Pierce as well. I'm actually into my third session with her. Mm-hmm. But it's funny. I mean, it's not funny what I'm about to say, but it's 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 interesting. It's I always think back to it's we form our habits early and they become a habit and it becomes our new norm. Mm-hmm. So you know we we get up our we get out of our norms and we try to navigate back. But it's when we get into those days or weeks on of working shift and not working out mm-hmm. it goes back to think about the day you were hired if the fire chief called you and said i'm going to offer you a job but you have to spend an hour every day to work out none of us would say no not right right but yet later on we get into we get off that norm it's like oh my gosh it's been four shifts since i worked out it's just like or even into the extreme it's like oh, i don't need to work out i'm not going to work out who's going to make you work out it's like hold on we veered off from that it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's, a, it's a privilege to be able yeah. to be given an hour to get paid to work out. But I think we get off that norm. And I think that's the challenge of not just leaders, but just everybody in, in, in the fire service is it's get back to that norm. We were given an hour, go, go, go take it, right? Go take it. Because if the fire chief said, you know, if I, if I see you go one day without, you know, working out, you're no longer going to work here. None of us would pass up that job offer. We're going to be intentional right. every single day. And I imagine the day, you know, the fire service and all of us spend that full hour every day for a 30-year career and those leaps that we can make with physical and mental health to ourselves and the culture of the fire service. So one thing I actually did just real quick and, and talking about is I actually put my workout on my calendar mm-hmm. just like go. I have command yep. staff on yep. my calendar yep. I get a reminder that pings me in the morning yep. it, it, it does a couple things one is it lets 
you know, yeah. people know first off when they look at my calendar, oh man, Chief Mac actually has it scheduled yep. there so they don't bug me during that time. Yep. But two is it also gives me a reminder yeah. that being the hey, you're working out this morning. Yep. Yeah. And for those mornings where I'm a little bit drunk and dragging ass a little bit, it, it, it's that extra boost I find uh, many times mm-hmm. to make me go. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, for, for, for those, those guys, guys who don't, don't have it already on their calendar, calendar, put it on your put it on your calendar. calendar. Exactly, schedule it. I love it, and, and then, then it'll, it'll it'll be there for you. Yeah, yeah. you got to find out what works for you. You know, I like I I do mine at the end of the day because like I I, I finish up, I'm laying on the floor, I'm a hot and sweaty mess. Um, but like all of the stress of the day, or most of the stress of the day is, is I leave it in the gym. Yeah. And you know, and it doesn't have to be. I was picking on CrossFitters earlier, but you know, it it, it could be CrossFit, it could be yoga, it could be some sort of high intent, whatever it is. But just do do something to take care of yourself. Yeah. yeah. And it's not just for our uniform staff, you know. And exactly. I, I have all of our non-uniform staff doing it as well, and it's. Uh, you know, I, I often laugh because Berlin, to kind of your point, you know, if the fire chief called you and said you had to do it, you'd be like, of course. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of friends who aren't in public safety who spend 150 bucks a month yep. to go to the YMCA, and, you know, and they, they cram it in before work or right. after work. Or Off whatever. duty. Right. Off duty. And, right. And I, you know, and I, I don't brag and I just, I'm like, I, but I, it often is like, not only do I have the facility, exactly, but I have somebody like Captain Stephen Rossett. Yeah. who is phenomenal at what he does yeah. to guide me on that journey as well. Yeah. And, and it's just, and to be able to ask questions and yeah. yeah so yeah. yeah. So yeah. Physical and mental well-being in, in Berlin. I mean, I, I applaud you for kind of like, Hey, I've seen Dr. Pierce as yeah. well. And, you know, nobody, nobody gets out of this life unscathed. Yeah. Right. And if you, you know, if most of these mental, you know, injuries that we end up with, um, you know, if you fell down, if you fell off the engine or you tripped and you broke your ankle or broke your leg, I wouldn't be like, Oh no, I'm going to be fine. Right. Oh, exactly. Fine. Right? But we, we feel like we have to do that with the, uh, um, with these, with these, you know, this accumulation of these traumatic events. Exactly. With so, the mental health. Yeah. yeah. If only we treated mental health yeah. like physical health. Sometimes I think we are definitely further along with the physical aspect of these things and mental, but if we can, you know, have that mental health be just as much, if not more attention paid to, I think we would definitely be in a better place. This is the rapid fire coffee top off today. And uh, it is actually super rapid. And the reason I say that is after talking to you off books here, chief, we were talking about uh, things that you would recommend people take. When I see people, these are emerging leaders, informal leaders, or even senior leaders to basically start doing right now, today, like, right? You're going to recommend an action for them to do to grow as leaders or to grow as being vulnerable leaders, to understand generational leadership a little better, any or all of the above. Mm-hmm. The advice you gave is simple. You said for each leadership group, you gave the quote from Jocko Willing, the need for an employee, any employee, at any level, to have the ability to lead up and down the chain of command and how to create an environment as a leader where people feel safe to do so. So unpack that a little bit for us. Sure. And it goes back to, and Bill had mentioned it, is, um, you know, I, I think the one thing that we don't do very well, and, and I'll say this is society, and I'm making a huge generalization here, is, is we don't know how to argue anymore. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows how to argue. We've turned into a society where everybody is super polite. Um, and, and that comes at a great cost because Bill, you hit the nail on the head is, is I want somebody regardless of their rank, regardless of their time and grade, regardless of the time and service to be able to look at me and go, Aaron, I don't agree with that. 
Mm-hmm. And, and what I found is, is that a lot of times we're walking in and, and whether it's an executive staff meeting, it's an all command staff meeting, whatever the case may be, um, you throw an idea on the table and nobody's willing to push back on you. And there's a couple of things. Number one is if, if you, if you start in every meeting and nobody's pushed back on you as a leader, you're screwed. Yeah. You're really, you're screwed because you now have an environment where people don't feel safe. And it might not be you, right? You may have inherited this group where people don't feel safe or an environment where people don't feel safe. And so leading up and down to the chain of command, is it's, it's great. And I, I, I think Jocko's spot on. But what it is, is there is some pre-work that has to be done with them. Is people have to be able to feel safe. And you and I have to be able to argue and build, dare I say, debate because what, what you need to have happen is you need to know that it's okay to go, Aaron, you're full of crap. That idea is terrible. But what happens is, is that we've come into, and, and this goes, and I won't even open up this can of words, but if you, if you follow social media, you're either with me or against me, mm-hmm. right? You're either Democrat or you're Republican. You're pro-life or you're pro-choice. You're yeah. vax or you're anti-vax, right? Yeah. And so we get into this echo chamber where we want to hear that everybody is saying the same thing yeah. that we do. Yeah. And so now if I'm Boise state and Bill's UW, like we can't have a good, I mean, if we, we can't have an argument about who's better and what have you, yeah. but like I should be, I want to be able to come in and throw an idea on the table yeah. and, and have, have you guys destroy it. And the problem is, is that when you, if you come in here like Aaron, that's a terrible idea. What happens is I start to take it very personally and I start to get defensive. And we, what we as leaders have to do is create an environment where you feel safe to do that. Where I say, hey, Bill, you seem like you're taking this personally. Like I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking the idea. And the reason why I'm ta- attacking the idea is because when it leaves here, I want it to be the best product, whatever, whatever it is that, that, that we have. And, you know, it, and it goes back to, I, I mentioned a, a, a long time ago, one of my favorite books in the entire world is Team of Rivals, right? And it's, uh, it, it is the biography of Abraham Lincoln. And, you know, Abraham Lincoln, what he did is when he got elected, he stacked his cabinet with people who hated him. Right? Interesting. And what yeah. came of that, right? Is every time he put an idea forward, the person from the other side of the aisle was like, that's never going to work. And, and this is crap. And that's not going to work. And so he'd come back and he'd redo it. And what did, we, what did he get out of that, right? The abolition of slavery. Because finally he pushed a document across the table where his rivals were like, that's pretty darn good because he had taken all of their advice. And so that's an environment that you want to create and, and you, you want to foster is the ability for people to be able to push back on you, but you have to create an environment where people feel safe. Um, and that is, that is paramount. And so again, if you, if you walk into a meeting bill and, and everybody goes, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Closes up their portfolios and turn around and walk out the door. You're in big trouble. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, so I'm just going to, Throw this out to the listeners here. Fill the room or fill your circle, if you will, with people who look, think, and act differently. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, it's okay. So be intentional. Be intentional. Be intentional. About it. Hey, hey, I wasn't going to say, but there you go. It's intentional. He's got a. I better bring a bell. He's got a meter. <laughs> his meter is like a 19 now or something like that. But it, it is super interesting because we see it all the time. 
you know, and it's, it's nothing wrong with, with what I'm about to say, but you see crews that work together for 10, 15 years. And it's like that entire crew looks, things acts the same. How much growth can occur? How much are you actually being challenged? Cause everything is just go with the flow. We all say yes to the same things. We all say no to the same things. So it's interesting. Be uncomfortable. Choose to fill your circle with people who will challenge you. And sometimes it's as simple as just asking. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I'll go golf with some buddies and you know, I will spend a whole day. If you think about, you know, golf, you're on the course for four or five hours, you yeah, six hours, lunch, you're shooting, you know, six hours, seven, <laughs> seven hours. And I'll spend the whole day and I'll get home. And my wife's like, Oh, who you guys talk about? And I'm like, really nothing. Yeah. That, you know, it, it makes you think about the fact that I just spent all this quality time with people. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens on the 24 hour shift. You spend all this time with people and at the end of the day, you know, you don't have anything that yeah. you really reached out for. So some of it is on us to just say, hey, let's spend five minutes of my day, sit down and go, hey, Berlin, what you do this weekend? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Hey, what team do you, do you like? Yeah. You know, do you watch any football? Yeah. You know, yeah. those kind of things make it so that you're making those connections. Yeah. And then if you do that today, next day it turns into 10 minutes. Each day when you come home from shift, you have a few more things you learned. And I had a fire chief one time that walked by the hallway, and I think I shared this story with you, bro. Oh, that's right. And he'd walk by with his coffee, and every time he walked by, he'd be like, hey, how's it going? Just yeah. keep walking. Yeah. One day I stood in front of him. Yeah. And I stopped and actually started talking to him yeah. about what I did that weekend, yeah. and he was so uncomfortable. All he could do was try to yeah. shoot me and get by, get by me. See, yep. Now he was so uncomfortable to actually stop to answer his question. That you know really showed me that you know he was just full of shit. He didn't really care about the answer. Yeah, he was just making in his brain. He was making small talk with someone he never wanted an answer for. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was funny, yeah. Berlin. I mean, he, he, I know, Simon yeah. Sinek, right? That's yeah. Oh, yeah. He says, you know, the, the true measure of a person is, is when you stop to ask them how they're doing that you actually care yep. about the response. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that and I, I wish I did it better, but it, I, I have a leadership meeting every Wednesday, is uh, I start by going around the room and saying, hey, over the last two weeks, tell me something in your personal and professional life that's been good. Right. Love but that. Because it, it, it's... It's so easy to jump in and go, agenda to- topic number one, blah, 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 blah. But, but to make a personal connection. Yeah. You know, or to hear like, hey, I just, this, this milestone event just happened. My daughter just got married, my, whatever the case may be. Right. But it, it really, you know, if you want to have that, again, if you want to have that connection with people, it's, it's a simple way to do it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's funny when you, a lot of times you just go, it's, it's just colloquialist. Hey Bill, how's it going? And like I don't care about your response. And most of the time you're like, he doesn't care yeah. about the response, but when they somebody's actually gonna stop and listen. Yeah, exactly. Well, we've got the leadership challenge here, Chief, and uh, I hope uh, we've got something for you here. You asked for some time on this, but we asked our guest speaker to call out or to challenge an individual that they believe would be a good candidate to come talk on the kitchen table. Yeah. So, so I'm going to ask, do you, you have, have somebody, somebody out there that you'd, you'd like, like to call, call out and Bill and I will reach out to this individual Yeah. and we will uh, ask this individual to come talk leadership with us. Yeah. Well, I'm going to commit a little bit of heresy here. Are you ready for it? We are. So, um, a, uh, a friend of mine, uh, but also a, uh, uh, teaches a class on legitimate leadership. Um, he's the assistant chief for the Southern police department. His name is Andy McCurdy. Uh, and he used to be up here with King County, uh, and was the police chief in Covington and was with their advanced training unit for a long time. Um, but he teaches uh, a course uh, called legitimate leadership and, and it's a behavioral 
health course with a leadership component. Um, and really, you know, when you're, when you're talking about, you know, I heard you mention in the beginning the wanting to, you know, really lean into behavioral health and, and, um, you know, Chief McCurdy has done a lot with peer support in uh, Pierce County, which is obviously just the south of us, and is uh, is is phenomenal and, and, and really vested and invested into making sure that firefighters and cops and paramedics go home and um, and it's, it's dealt with a lot of tragedy and and out of that. And so, um, yeah, I think Chief McCurdy is uh, Bill. I know you, you mm-hmm. him, and I have talked about you, um, and uh, so yeah, so I think he would be. Uh, Bring a bring a copper in here to the to the that's, kitchen uh, table, which uh, I know probably doesn't happen very often. But uh, yeah, I think I think Andy would be a great uh, a great add to this podcast. Well, thank you. That's uh, that's awesome. We will uh, we'll reach out to. Uh, I, I got it, Berlin. I I got his contact. Oh, you already got it. There, we, there's no. It's already done. Email is sent. So we look forward to having Assistant Chief Andy McCurdy on the kitchen table in a future episode. So thank you, Chief, for that for that call. I'm going to uh, throw this out there before we officially close. Thank you, uh, Chief Tyreman. This is uh, we can go for hours about this. I love this conversation, this topic yeah. specifically, or these topics. Let's close with this. Lasting comments to our listeners today, listening to episode six, Chief Tyreman. Yeah. Again, I would say that um, you know leadership isn't easy. And it also doesn't happen overnight. Uh, it is it is the constant pursuit. It, it, uh, you have to you have to be make it a habit. Uh, make a make it a habit of excellence. Make it a habit of, of of trying to be the best that you can be. And you know, I, I it's funny. I, I look back and you know, I can't believe I'm starting my 28th year. It seemed like I was a brand new guy yesterday. Um, but yeah, don't, don't be, and don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to make yourself uncomfortable. Um, you know, you, you never know, you know, what you're missing out on. Uh, and, uh, if, if you don't, and like I said, it's just, because before you know it, you'll be 30 years into your career and, and you'll be passing it off to the next generation. And, um, you know, I would say that when it, when it comes to people, again, be infinitely curious. Um, you never regret being kind. I mean, you, you never regret being kind and, and, you know, just remember that every person you meet, uh, and I know it sounds a little cliche, but every person you meet is struggling with something, mm-hmm. you know, and, and keep that in mind. And it doesn't mean you can't be firm and, and enforce policies and procedures and do what you need to do. But, um, you know, you, you do that and, master relationships with people you, I mean your life just gets so much easier like yeah. who doesn't want to come to work and, and yeah. not have great relationships and not have a great time absolutely yeah you're right thank you chief Bill yeah man it's super exciting and thank you for uh, creating this this environment for us to be able to share um, you yeah. know I like what chief Iron had to say today about being curious you know try to be a little bit better each and every day figure out what that is you know just don't you know, like the way I need to how to eat it one bite at a time. Mm-hmm. Same kind of thing, how you attack an instant, you know, one problem at a time, one critical fire run factor at a time. So try to find how to be that a little bit better each and every day, yeah. you know, and uh, be intentional, be intentional be about it. Sign up for stuff. If I think about how many times I've had opportunities, you know, someone come to me and say, hey, I need someone to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, hey, I'll try it. I have no experience in doing it, right? I mean, I've written documents and never thought I could, you know, do. I just finished, you know, a 160-page document that I just, you know, wrote with a bunch of data and a real technical document. You know, it's crazy how, how challenged you can be. I mean, just since I've been in East Pierce, I've sold bonds, right? I've helped, you know, yeah. looked at review plans for the county. I've testified on stuff. So, it, you know, challenge yourself. Challenge yourself.
Just to remind the listeners, as we close episode six of The Kitchen Table, follow us on Spotify or other major podcast outlets as we uh, try and close in here on the Joe Rogan numbers. Don't miss the conversations upcoming on diversity, equity, and inclusion, plus the series in February surrounding behavioral and mental health, emotional survival, peer support, and a whole lot more. So in closing, as always, thank you everybody for tuning in today to The Kitchen Table. We truly hope you found this time valuable and that we've inspired you to take action, to lead, and to continue to spread the leadership conversation. Until next time, be safe, be intentional, and stay curious.